recap um, uh, what we're doing this semester for those of you um, who weren't able to join us last week. Um, so this spring, we're, we're studying the pastoral epistles, and last week we began um, with 1 Timothy. And the pastoral epistles, again, are a series of letters that Paul addressed not to churches, um, but to other pastors, and particularly Timothy and Titus, as uh, we saw last week, were pastors that um, Paul had mentored. Um, you know, he calls them both his uh, true children of the faith. Um, and, uh, and as we think about it, these men stood in positions of authority over churches. So they're not just, you know, um, uh, Paul's mentees, but they themselves are leaders who are um, entrusted with this um, gospel responsibility of pastoring churches. Um, and as we talked about last week, just to recap some of the things we talked about as we looked at the first half of chapter one, um, in particular, we discussed how Paul added the word mercy to his traditional greeting of grace and peace, um, assuring Timothy not only of the pardoning grace operating as a spiritual dynamic in his life, but also of God's closely related loving kindness in every situation that um, God's not just dealing with sin, but he's dealing with the effects of sin um, and not giving um, us what we deserve. And, and indeed, that's um, something we'll see today that Paul himself um, is very conscious of how God has been merciful to him. So we talked about this cognizance of God's mercy as being an important aspect that separates a true pastor from the false teachers who um, Paul is concerned with in chapter 1. False teachers who, who claim to be teachers of the law, but they don't even understand the law and its purposes. The aim of their different doctrine, as Paul calls it, is to promote speculations rather than stewardship of faith. The true aim of the Christian we saw last week, um, and as Paul says um, in, in verse 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So um, let me, uh, I'll, I'll read the entirety of chapter 1 just so we can have context, but we'll be focused today on the second half of, of chapter 1, but I'll, I'll read the entirety of it. So here now the word of God from 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The same is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So, um, we spent um, considerable time last week talking about how these false teachers misuse the law. And I want to return to that discussion of the law as we start today, because verses 8 um, through 10 uh, set up uh, this last um, half of the chapter, which the ESV has blocked out under the title, Christ Jesus Came to Save Sinners. So um, let's start with this question. Um, you know, in, in verse 8, Paul says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So how does one use the law lawfully? We talked last week a lot about how um, these uh, different teachers had misused the law, but what's the purpose of the law? How does one use the law lawfully? Yeah, but it is... um, it's this, uh, this, this tool that God uses, um, yeah, the means by which God is, is using um, in us and for us. But in it in itself isn't the goal, right? What else? Yeah, and I think um, we see that here in Timothy. That's a great, there's a lot of parallels between this section and and Romans. Um, And here, you know, he he says, the law's not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. You know, that the purpose of the law is to show us the depth of our sinfulness. Um, And if we're using the law to, you know, kind of buttress ourselves, like we talked last week uh, a lot about how these false teachers are using it to buttress their sense of, of self-righteousness. Um, that's not the purpose of the law. The law, you know, we, we mentioned the, the young ruler who comes to, to Jesus, the rich young ruler, and, and, you know, teacher, what must I do to, um, to be saved? And, you know, well, <laughs> he gives them a list of all, all these I've kept <laughs> from my youth. <laughs> that's that's not the purpose. Um, uh, the purpose um, is to one um, to to show you know, and as he's saying, the law is is not for the just. Um, let's be clear; he's not dismissing the the realm of the law for the believer. That's he, he's not saying the law is useless to us. The law establishes what goodness is. The law is good, you know, as he says here. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. Um, you know, the law itself is good. The problem isn't with the law. The problem is, as, again, as um, Scott said, you know, that we are misusing um, the intent. And the intent, as Dave said, is to show us our sinfulness, you know, to show us um, our need um, for the gospel. Good. What else might we say about the, the use of the law, using the law lawfully? Andre. Yeah, that it's a form of, of, of legalism, and um, as he, he talks about um, later in the chapter, you know, um, this form of spiritual pride, you know, to sort of create this sense of, 
superiority, um, you know, that they are, uh, and, and we talked about some last week, you know, part of the book is showing what a true teacher of the faith is from a false teacher. And a false teacher is, is taking positions of authority in, in the church and teaching to augment themselves, um, you know, to, to establish themselves as superior to others, um, uh, much like the, the Pharisees, you know, are establishing themselves as teachers of the law and using the law as, you know, a sense to kind of <laughs> beat other people. So it is this, this form of legalism, and legalism uh, in a way to um, uh, this, this prideful use uh, of the law um, to, um, to create this sense of spiritual superiority. And, and one of the things, you know, I want to, um, that's going to come through these epistles is that um, authority in the church is an inverted authority of the world. You know, the way that, that authority is exercised in the church is different than the way that authority um, and power is exercised in the world. As we you know, mentioned the phrase last week, you know, power corrupts. Well, the way that um, the antidote to that um, in the church is as people you know, like Timothy and Titus are in positions of authority over others, how do they keep from being corrupted by that authority? By remembering their place. <laughs> by remembering their true position. You know, yes, they're under Paul as an apostle, but as Paul starts the letter off, he's under Christ Jesus. You know, all, you know, true Christian authority begins with remembering who you are. Um, and that's, you know, he's kind of building toward this first of these five trustworthy statements that Paul gives us in the pastoral epistles, you know, that Christ in the w- came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the chief. You know, that is, you know, Paul is conscious of his position, um, and it's not a position of superiority. (laughs) I'm the worst of sinners, and it's what Christ has done to the worst of sinners that gives me authority. Um, Bill. Yeah, absolutely. That, and again, it's the the law, you know, isn't there, you know, for for the just. The law is there to remind us that we're sinners, and we're still under it. You know, we still follow it or, or seek to follow it. Again, not for it as an end of itself. To sort of like we talked about last week. To sort of, yay, isn't God glad to have someone super righteous like me on His side? But to to show us our senses. Um, uh, um, William Hendrickson, um, one of the commentators um, uh, amusing, um, said this, sound doctrine demands that man must keep God's law. It also declares by nature he cannot keep it. So it's, you know, keeping these two things together. The law, the demands of the law are, are good, you know, and just, and um, are for us. We are under the strictures of the law. It hasn't gone away. Um, but we misuse the law when we use it to kind of show how righteous we are. Um, rather, the purpose of the law is to show how sinful we are. Um, I think here he's specifically um, talking about the moral law. Um, if you look at this list, I think I mentioned this last week, you know, it, um, it, it, it sounds different partly because he's trying to express the, the second table of the law in one word in Greek. All these are like one word labels, so it's like, that's tough. <laughs> um, the, and, you know, and it's shown to be tough by how in English we have to use multiple words to it. But he's, he's, he's kind of rattling off the, um, particularly the second table of the law, you know, you know, starts with honor your father and mother, murderers, um, you know, uh, adultery, homosexuality, so sexual sin, um, uh, man stealing as being kind of the um, 
highest point of, of death, um, you know, uh, perjuring oneself, um, you know, lying. You know. So he's, um, he's particularly, just as, again, very similar to the um, Jesus, you know, he's a, the kind of second table of the law, the kind of visible forms of law keeping. Um, and um, as Bill said, you know, as we look at this list, um, you know, part of the purpose of the list is to ensure these are the people, um, people who have done these things are in the church. You know, it's not the just are over here, and then you've got this, this, these lawbreakers over here. No, these lawbreakers are the ones who, you know, who the church consists of. These were, you know, as he says elsewhere, such as formerly you were, you know, that, you know, these are people who've done these things. And as Paul later, he's, you know, I was a blasphemer, uh, an opponent of the church, you know, he, he's very conscious of the severity of his sin. Um, so the church is, doesn't consist of the sinless. The church consists of sinners who've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Um, and part of the problem of these teachers of the law is that, you know, you know and again, he, he doesn't go into a lot of de uh, details about like genealogies and speculations, you know, what exact, how this relates to their teaching of the law. But maybe one parallel could be um, how Paul talks, um, you all might know Philippians chapter 3 is one of my favorite books, well, Philippians my favorite book of, of the Bible. And chapter 3, I really love. And I love how what Paul um, does in that chapter is he, he doesn't just um, repent of his sin, but he repents of his righteousness <laughs> um, prior to, um, you know, everything. It's not just his sin that's rubbish. You know, all the things he thought were good and righteous, he considers rubbish in comparison to the grace that's in Christ Jesus, you know. So all that stuff that he had, you know, prided himself, you know, that he was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, you know, circumcised on the eighth day, you know, uh, a keeper of the law, you know, a Pharisee, you know, all these things that, you know, he prior had used to kind of elevate himself, he now counts but rubbish. And in a similar way, it's, you know, I think that's what these teachers of the law have been doing. They've been using it to kind of um, create this self-righteousness um, rather than using the law to show them the depths of their sinfulness. Yeah, that, you know, who am I connected to? What's my, you know, you know, you know what's my pedigree? <laughs> um, and, and, you know, a true child of the faith is someone who, you know, again, gets this. You know, what makes a true teacher uh, in the church, um, a true minister of the gospel, is someone who understands themselves as sinners saved by Christ. True circumcision isn't circumcision of the flesh. It's circumcision of the heart. You know, what, you know, as we think about what is meant to be included, and we talked a little bit about this last week, you know, with this question of true child, you know, that with, with Timothy having kind of this mixed parentage, um, having a, a, a Jewish mother and a Greek father, 
and Titus being entirely uh, Gentile. That, you know, part of the amazing thing of calling them two children is to expand beyond this kind of tribalism. Um, that to be a true minister of the gospel doesn't mean you have to have a certain pedigree. Um, it means that you are have a commitment to this faith um, that's been entrusted uh, to you. Good. Anything else you want to say about the law before we move on? So, you know, he's establishing, um, and I, I broke out uh, the confession just to remind us we studied this um, last fall, but I, I love how the confession kind of summarizes the, the use of the law. Um, Although true believers be not under the law as a covenant of works to be thereby justified as condemned, yet it is of great use to them as well as to others in that as a rule of life informing them of the will of God and their duties, it directs and binds them to walk accordingly, discovering also the sinful pollutions of their nature, hearts, and lives. So as examining themselves thereby, they may come to further conviction of humiliation for and hatred against sense, against sin, together with a clear sight of the need they have of Christ and the perfection of his obedience. Um, and it's the way, I, I know, I, I got to come up with a new analogy for this, but <laughs> sorry, it's how uncreative I am. I found one and it just, <laughs> um, it's the way that, the more we grow in our knowledge of the law, the greater sense we have of ourselves as sinners. You know, our growth in grace, um, we're growing in our understanding of our need of Christ. You know, I don't see myself as a better, uh, a more righteous person now than when I was converted. Actually, I see my sin more. <laughs> and so growing in grace is growing in my understanding of how much I need, you know, like when I was converted, I thought I needed Christ this much. Now I see I need Christ this much, and hopefully, you know, 20 years down the line, I'll see, you know, I'm growing in my sense of myself as a sinner and my need for Christ's righteousness. Um, so it's that um, internal understanding, um, that internal application of the law. Again, the law as being, as the standard says, Revealing the, this is the will of God. This is what God wants. The law is good because the law reflects God's moral characteristics. Um, um, but um, it shows the depths of our sinfulness and our need for the God who gave us this law. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's the Ten Commandments. It's the moral law of God. Um, you know, it's the Ten Commandments and, you know, that he uses this phrase at the very end, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, <laughs> which is a, a broadening. You know, like, you know, you know, like the Ten Commandments is the, the starting point. And, you know, um, it, it's a short summary. And, again, Paul here is giving a very short summary. Like, again, this list he's giving, they're all, like, you know, one word. <laughs> um, I wish we had, you know, kind of could do this <laughs> as succinctly, you know, the benefit of other, we were talking about Presbyterian yesterday, the benefit of other cultures. Um, this is the benefit of another language, but sometimes other languages can express things better than, than English can. Um, and, and this might be one of those places that, you know, um, like German is, does this as well. Like, like it, I have a hard time with German when I studied German, like, because it took me forever, like, they would take what in English would be our entire sentence, and they would just stick it into one word. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> like, what is that word? And then I'd kind of like, oh, it's like, you know, Methodist camp meeting, and it's like, you know, fifty letter word <laughs> um, that, you know, we express in three, three words, they got one. Um, and, and that's the way, you know, this kind of economy of language. 
Yeah, the way, and, and again, one can think about the way, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's the, it's the way the, um, you know, again, the Westminster um, Catechism, and there's a section where it works through each of the commandments, and one of the things that always strikes people is how expansive, you know, those lists that, you know, honor your father and mother means more than just me being kind to Jean and George Berry, um, you know, in, in Nashville. It, it, it refers to honoring those who are in authority over you. Um, you know, that it's just the, the moral law, it's summarized in the Ten Commandments, but it's, you know, and, and that's what Jesus said, you know. You can't just look at the outward application of, I didn't steal anything from anybody this week um, to sort of, again, pat myself on the back. You know, when I really think about it, I'm a thief. Or the way that Jerry always used to, you know, say, I'm a serial murderer. <laughs> no, I haven't, you know, physically killed people, but in my heart, you know. So the way that the moral law goes, is expanded beyond just the actions, but, you know, it, they're matters of the heart. Okay. Well, let's talk about um, the trustworthy saying, um, you know, the kind of, uh, again, and there are going to be five of these as we go through First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus. Um, five times he uses the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So what is the trustworthy saying exactly? Is the trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners or is it that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost? <laughs> it's the second one. So you, because some people will say, Okay, um, yeah, Lisa. Yeah, in the way, and actually, um, uh, Christ Jesus isn't, Paul's usual, that's more John, it uses Christ Jesus more frequently. So some people have, have sort of, um, as we think about this trustworthy saying, that, uh, again, it's establishing, it's, um, it, it's not just trust in Jesus, but, yeah, it's, you know, who Jesus is, this short summary of, of Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, you know, he is this, the, the promised one, um, and that this saying is, you know, is not just a trustworthy saying coming from Paul, but some people, because, again, it's not usually Paul's language, that this is a saying in the church that Paul is reminding Timothy of here. Um, again, we can take debates over this. I don't want to get into that, but, you know, um, but you're right. Yeah, he's, a, you know, as we think about the saying, um, he's establishing you know, in a just again short summary the gospel, and 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 as we think about that gospel, it's about who Christ is, and it's about who we are. <laughs> um, you know, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, um, and will we uh, put ourselves? Um, as they were saying, in that category of sinners. And that's what that second half of the phrase is doing. Um, some people say, well, that's, you know, Paul, you know, that second half of the phrase is Paul applying the trustworthy saying to himself. Um, but, um, but I think Dave's right. The trustworthy saying doesn't hold until we insert ourselves into it, you know. 
It's establishing the proposition, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Um, that, you know, that doesn't mean anything um, until I insert myself into that category of sinners, of whom I am the chief. You know, that I, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner. Um, and again, we, because we use that language, I, I think sometimes um, we lose the sense of what an epithet that is. You know, this is not a good label <laughs> we're attaching to ourselves. We're like, you know, I'm a sinner. You're like, you know, again, just because of our Christian context, you know, we're very comfortable with applying this label to ourselves. And and I think we lose this this sense of, you know, the the horror that attaches to this word. You know, that um, you know, sin is a bad thing, and that label, you know, sinfulness, sinner, is attached to me. Um, you know, that, um, but my only hope is having that uh, understanding of who I am. Um, that that word, as horrible as it is, um, you know, you know, of all the negative connotations that it carries, those all apply to me um, and describe me um, and therefore describe my need for this Christ Jesus. Um, you know, that he came into the world to save horrible people like me. Um, and so as we think about this trustworthy saying, I mean, again, notice how it's, it's in a very short, pithy way, as Alicia's saying, of capturing not just Jesus, but you know, Jesus' role, Jesus' position, what Jesus, um, who Jesus is. It's establishing what he did. You know, he came into the world, and that's not just that he showed up. You know, the world there is being used in this kind of ethical sense. He came into this, this perfectly righteous one, came into this sinful world for the purpose of delivering people like me. Yeah, Victor. Yeah, it's a, or, you know, in traditional, like, biblical, or Paul, you know, he establishes the doctrine, and then he applies it, <laughs> you know, and the doctrine is Christ came into the world to save sinners, and, and that's abstract and philosophical, um, of whom I'm the chief. He gives you the tangible, the example, the, you know, again, like a salesman, you know, um, not just sort of touting the product, but demonstrating it. <laughs> um, and the, the proof, the demonstration that Paul, the example that Paul's giving, is he himself. Um, you know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, um, and again, it's sort of, um, I, I love this idea of the salesman. Um, I wish I had thought of that. Um, but, um, you, know, it, you know, you think about those products that are advertised on TV, like, you know, like, you know, like, and you're like, eh. <laughs> um, does it really work, you know? Um, and to have this kind of living example right in front of you. And that's what Paul's doing. You know, he's, um, he's taking this trustworthy saying, and then he's using himself as a living demonstration of, of a living example of the gospel. That he, yeah, and it's the way that te you know, um, testimony, and again, I, I think we, um, 
uh, you know, these things become so kind of um, you know, prosaic in our Christian circles, that kind of thing. When you become a member of the church, you know, that's one of the things you have to do before the elders would get uncomfortable. Um, um, and, you know, it, it becomes sort of routine, routinized, um, if I can, you know, <laughs> that word. Um, you know, and it, we lose the power of that. When, we're, when we give our testimony, and, and again, Paul in a very short form here is giving his testimony, you know. Who was I? I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of the church. I was an opponent of the gospel. Um, I was the worst of sinners, you know. Rather than being one who was, you know, seeking, <laughs> you know, I was an opponent. And yet this God can take someone who is in full flight from the gospel and, and make him, you know, not just save him, but, but make him an apostle. Um, you know, it's, it's not just he's been delivered from his sin, He's, he's been, you know, transformed from being a full-fledged opponent of the gospel to, you know, someone who's, who is, uh, you know, a sent one, an apostle of the gospel, willing to give his life. You know, the, the, he's using himself to show the dramatic change that's taken place in his life. What I was before, what I am um, because of the work of Christ Jesus in me. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the chief. And, 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 and tells his story, again, to, to give living proof of the doctrine that he's just presented. The relational aspect of that, you know, that uh, he's, he's, he's building a people for himself. Um, and, and so, again, that trustworthy saying, yeah, that's a great um, parallel because this is Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's, again, it's not just abstract theological principle. It's relational um, he, to create a people for himself. Um, uh, you know, to, to, to channel James Glover, um, you know, to, to create a kingdom of priests, <laughs> a holy nation. Um, and that's, you know, what's being presented in Exodus, and that's what's being presented in the book of Revelation. You know, it's, it's summarizing, you know, uh, again, this, this short summary of, of God is creating a people for himself, and it's relational, which, again, is part of how we spread the gospel is relational. Um, and to sort of think about it's, um, as we spread the gospel, it's, it's being open with ourselves and our own stories. Um, you, know, you know, part of the way we should be sharing our faith is being clear of ourselves as sinners who need this Christ. You know, ourselves as needy, not presenting ourselves as people who've got it all together, um, and if you, you know, you could, should come and you'll get it all together too, but showing ourselves as, again, nasty word, sinners, um, but sinners who've received mercy, um, who haven't gotten what they've deserved because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Again, I think the, the idea is, you know, like, and I've used this example before, it's like, um, you know, 
this gulf between us and God, and the only thing that will bridge that gulf is righteousness. Um, and it doesn't matter if I jump two feet <laughs> and fall, you know, a hundred feet short, or if I jump a hundred feet and fall two feet short, you know, everybody is falling, you know, everybody has need. And again, the more, you know, I might not think of myself as a great sinner, well, you know, I haven't, and, and again, you can, um, this happened a lot, you know, hearing people's testimony. I went to a Christian high school. I wasn't a Christian myself yet, but I went to this Christian high school and, you know, hearing people's, you know, they bring people in for spiritual emphasis week and they give their testimonies and, you know, um, always had a hard time relating to them because I didn't have a drug problem and I hadn't robbed six liquor stores and, you know, um, I hadn't done this or that. And so, um, so yeah, so, you know, um, I, I, I never saw myself as, as, as being bad as those people until I was convicted by the Holy Spirit to see myself as a sinner. That even though I hadn't robbed a liquor store, <laughs> um, and I didn't have a drug problem, I, I, I'm still a sinner. Um, and my sin is an offense against God. And, um, uh, Anselm you know, uses this. Uh, again, I'm repeating things I know I've said before, but you know, Anselm uses, you know, we're sinning against an infinite God and therefore it's an infinite offense. It's not the, you know, the act of our sin is what makes it bad, it's who we've sinned against. You know, we've sinned against God um, and it's the, the person we've sinned against is what's establishing the um, offensiveness of our offense, not that it seems minuscule or minor to us. Um, it's that who we've done it against. You know, um, uh, an example um, I've used um, of this is when we lived in, in Jackson, Mississippi, um, our neighborhood um, had a armed robbery problem for a while. <laughs> um, these two guys would kind of follow people home and, and wait till they got out of their cars and then kind of come up with guns. Um, uh, and um, and, you know, it was happening. The police were trying to do things about it. And then they did it to a federal judge that happened to live in that neighborhood. Next thing you know, the FBI has helicopters, <laughs> you know, night vision goggles, you know, um, people, uh, our neighborhood kind of only had a few entrances and outways, you know, like snipers at the ends. And, like, within days, they caught these guys. You know, it's, and they hadn't done anything different. It's, they had done it against, you know, a higher, you know, a person. It's who they, the, who they offended against is what elevated the nature of the crime. And in a similar way, you know, so maybe we don't, you know, you know I, I'm not the, the, you know, haven't done these things, but I'm still a sinner against a holy God, a holy, holy, holy God. Um, and when I think about who it is I've offended against, that is what's establishing me as the greatest of sinners. You know, not what I've done, but who I've done it against. Yeah, and, and again, it's, it's um, because if we pay attention to the offenses, yes, yeah, so we, you know, we could establish, you know, um, uh, misdemeanors <laughs> and felonies and um, or come up with a list of moral sins and venial sins as the way um, Catholic theology is done. But that's not the, the point isn't the action. The point is, is who we've sinned against. And therefore, all sin, uh, you know, venial, moral, <laughs> is all equal because it's all sin against God. Um, you know, um, uh, you know, um, giving God the finger and you know, and striking a blow on the cross, even though you know we might say, well, one's just a gesture, the other's a physical act. They're both offensive <laughs> to the person they've been done to. Um, and again, when we consider who they've been done to, um, that you know, that's what establishes 
the offensiveness of sin. Um, and, and again, it's the relational nature of it. Um, we, who we've sinned against is what's creating our sinfulness. You know, um, it's it's that's what's establishing the depth of our need, um, and uh, giving us. And, and notice the um, the the joy um, that comes. Uh, I've I've received mercy. <laughs> this is who I I, you know, this is who I am. Even though you know these are things he's done in the past, but he's using present tense. You know, um, for this, it's it's not I was the greatest of sinners. I am the greatest of sinners. You know, it's it's. I think the verb tense there is important. You know, even though you know the things he lists are things he's done in the past. Um, we could almost say things Saul did, <laughs> but now this is Paul. You know, he's you know he still considers himself presently the greatest of sinners. Jason. And this is what, you know, how he's ending this chapter, you know, this is what's been entrusted to you. <laughs> you know, it, you know, when we get to uh, uh, this charge I entrust to you, you know, what's that charge? You know, what separates true teaching from false teaching? You know, it's this consciousness of the teacher um, as, as a sinner in, in need of the mercy of, of God. And again, um, uh, to, I, I love how um, uh, and we're kind of we're running out of time, but um, I had a question on this, but I'll just you know sort of just to emphasize this. I love how verse seventeen, you know, it's like he suddenly breaks out in 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 doxology. <laughs> you know, he's he's been giving instruction and and teaching, and in the middle of that, <laughs> you know, when he considers. Again, the, the truth of this saying, um, you know, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the chief. And he gives his little testimony and he, you know, he can't hold it in. <laughs> you know, he breaks out into to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's like, you know, it. it breaks out into doxology, <laughs> into praise of the glory of God when he thinks about who God is and what God has done to him, a sinner. Um, and again, to sort of think of the connection between um, our, our, um, our theology and our worship, that you know, when we have this theological understanding of ourselves, as recipients of the mercy of God, that we're sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you know, that brings us to what we're going to do in the coming hours. That brings us to worship. You know, that uh, what we believe um, about God, who God is, and what God has done for us, is what leads us to worship that God. All right. Um, uh, good. Uh, I'll close this for today. Um, just a reminder that next week um, we'll we'll be having Sunday school, but we're going to have a special guest, um, uh, a friend of, of Lee Stone, who is. Um, I, I wish Lee was here; he could give a better um, description. We should should have got an email about it, but um, basically he is a um, bishop in the Middle East. Um, so over, you know, when we think persecuted churches that we're praying for. He's a leader of these churches that are experiencing persecution. And, and Lee and his um, medical mission um, to Egypt has developed a relationship. And so he's going to be our special guest for Sunday school next week. So we'll be stepping back um, from the pastoral epistles next week. But please come to, to hear 
um, the story and the, the ministry that's going on in, um, in these places of the world that are experiencing tremendous persecution for the sake of the gospel. All right, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your love to us that while we were yet sinners, uh, Christ Jesus uh, entered this world. Um, though he was perfectly righteous and holy, um, he took upon himself um, a, a human body with all its uh, weaknesses and infirmities, and he lived in a world full of sinfulness and unrighteousness um, and a world that even uh, hated him for who he was, and executed him in a uh, horrible, demeaning way. Um, and yet, you used um, his death for our deliverance. Um, that um, the blow that we meant for evil, you used for good, and used even for our own deliverance. Um, and that uh, as we hear this and accept this trustworthy saying that this uh, sent one, this Messiah, this anointed one, uh, Jesus Christ, um, entered this world. The reason he took on flesh was to save us, um, as Bill uh, uh, told us, to create a holy people for himself. Um, and we thank you for his his great love and his great sacrifice and um, help us to be carriers of that story uh, forward, that we would be open with our own stories, our own stories of our sinfulness, our need, our neediness, but how Christ Jesus has um, given us more mercy than we, could, um, than we can conceive that um, even as we grow in our understanding of the depth of our sinfulness, we see more and more the, the glorious grace of Christ Jesus and what he has done for us. And so we pray that um, as we worship, you would give us uh, that sense that Paul communicates to Timothy here of having received such great mercy from our God and to therefore give you all glory and honor and praise. And we ask it in Christ's name by the power of your spirit. Amen.